0: Welcome to the Green Element podcast, where we meet business leaders and innovators, transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable. And in the process, help you on your journey of sustainability. I'm your host, Will Richardson. Today, we've got Robert McLaughlin on from Manatee Fresh. They are importing flowers into the US, into Florida and then across the US. Um, from Ecuador and Colombia and we touch upon the environmental impact of flowers and what impact it does have and how we can make a difference on what it is that we're buying when we buy flowers and whether you are in the US or the UK the same strategy the same education is there it's understanding what to buy and um, how to buy it and knowing who you're buying off makes a big difference because that will help you make informed decisions and also help with that systemic change that we are desperately needing across businesses. I just want to give a warm welcome to you, Robert, and I wonder if you could just give us a bit of
1: an understanding about who you are and what your organization does, please. Yeah. Good morning, uh, Will. Thanks for having me on. Um, So Manatee Fresh is, we are uh, local growers, importers, and wholesalers for the floral industry in the U.S. Uh, We sell to wholesalers nationwide uh, who sell to retailers. And then in the state of Florida, we also sell to retailers ourselves. uh, And we also sell to supermarkets.
0: I'm really looking forward to understanding more about the just the flower industry, and um I know it's talked about a lot here um in the u k and the environmental cost it can have. And could you tell us about a bit about your purpose and who you work with?
1: Yeah, so we you know we work with um, uh, a lot of farms in that grow in the u s as well as farms that grow in mainly um, Ecuador and Colombia um, because we're on this side of the hemisphere. So we do import, we do you know grow locally, um, selling again to supermarkets. Yeah, and we mainly work with just certified sustainable farms, which is is an important aspect of our business.
0: And when you say certified sustainable farms, I mean what sort of what sort of um, certification are we looking at here?
1: Yeah, so there are several. Um, There's the Fairtrade certification that I think you're probably familiar with, the Max Hevlar in, in in Europe. Um, I believe the UK as well. Um, We also work with Rainforest Alliance. Um, We ensure that every farm is certified in multiple certifications. We really don't deal with a farm that has, say, just one. There's Flor Ecuador, there's um, Flor Verde out of Colombia. We kind of do a gap analysis of all the certifications and make sure that they hit the key points that we want, not just that they're environmental, but they're also socially responsible. And you know, we kind of look at the custody chain of the product um, as well as it's going through the distribution model.
0: And um, are standards as um, high elsewhere? Do you find that standards can be quite different in different countries?
1: Uh, maybe not in different countries, but I think in different certifications. So if you take Rainforest Alliance, it's very much a, an environmental uh, standard and set of uh, of standards. And you look at something like fair trade, it's more involved in, you know, the the social aspects of workers um, and workers' rights. So, you know, we kind of look at it from that aspect.
0: We hear a lot about these certifications. And I think in the UK, people, are, it's not that they're questioning, say, the Rainforest Alliance or fair trade, but they're saying, do they go far enough? Is it good enough? I mean, what, do you have an opinion on that?
1: I do not think they go far enough. And I do think that they have very much become businesses that are, you know, that are about money and, and certifying farms. So I personally visit all the farms that we do business with to make sure that they meet our internal, you know, company standards. And we use those certifications as starting points, as a set of standards that at least they need to adhere to. Um, i i think the certifications are good you know they all have their little gaps if you take in the u.s usda organic for instance well that only addresses how you grow the plant it doesn't address the runoff of organic chemicals into you know streams that can kill wildlife and suffocate you know other uh, vegetations up and down a stream you know so any any one certification in and of itself is is in my opinion not good enough but but not to um, say anything negative about them because I think they are steps in the right direction and they do serve a purpose and that, that is identifying a certain set of standards and at least you know they adhere to that. Then you can move from there.
0: Your standard operating procedures must be, um, I was going to say a nightmare, because of um, the intricacies and the cross, um, cross-pollination with the moorlands, and um, the person having to deal with your quality control will be looking at all of them almost side by side but then having your own within it as well
1: yeah yeah it it does uh, and it takes a lot of time of visiting farms and and relationships with farm owners and ensuring that you know they have uh you know the best interest of their workers the environment and the local ecology surrounding their farm so um, again you know certifications are great but um there can be some bad things happen at a certified farm. So you have to know who you're dealing with.
0: And do you find the relationships are actually almost more powerful because over time you'll build that relationship and that trust and therefore you, you'll work together on trying to improve that environmental awareness or um, the social governance, etc.
1: Yeah, I do think they're very important. Um, But I will say with some of the certifying bodies that they have put a lot of work into outlining the standards, auditing the standards, I think it's a critical piece of it for sure.
0: I'm more thinking about your relationship with your suppliers. So when you go to visit your um, farms in Ecuador, that relationship is probably almost more powerful and more important because they could potentially be turning to you to ask for advice about what they could be doing better or differently.
1: Yeah, just a, a real quick story as to, you know, how that can be important. I was visiting a farm who was USDA certified organic. And as I got to the farm, uh, the grower was late for our meeting. So I'm walking around the loading dock and warehousing area, and I see a refrigeration unit that's turned off, which is not uncommon. Usually you turn turn them on during peak seasons and and they're off. But so I stuck my head in to take a look and see, you know, kind of what was in this dark, you know, uh, cooler, uh, refrigeration unit and turned the light on my, on my phone on. And inside were a bunch of stacks of wood pallets with blankets and pillows where their immigrant labor were sleeping. This is where they put their workers in a moldy dark cooler. So, you know, I imagine Consumers in a supermarket thinking they're buying something wholesome because it's USDA certified organic, and yet the atrocities against you know migrant workers in the fields, that certification doesn't cover that. So you really need to understand the heart and soul of the grower and, and what they're thinking. And how would, if
0: someone was to be setting up and starting off on a journey similar to yours, be it... Flower import or any other importing. What sort of key things would you say to be looking for to start off with?
1: Well, I would say you know, first visit where the product is coming from. Build a relationship with the grower. You know, talk to the people in the fields. Talk to the people packaging. Look at any kind of internal processes they have, whether it's a formal certification or whether it's how they handle, you know, chemicals. Do they give uh, workers Uh, proper training and safety equipment to do their job there's a lot of things to really look at but it starts with knowing where your product is from
0: That's yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and um going on to the chemicals i know in the uk we we have our safety data sheets and um there's quite a lot of compliance around how you store them and how you use them Is that more? Is also worldwide, and would you be able to look at stuff like that in, say, Ecuador?
1: Yeah, there are requirements with the various certifications on how they store and care for um, chemicals, agrochemicals, and none of the farms we work with can use chemicals banned by the USDA or, or I'm sorry, uh, FDA or the World Health Organization. So we make sure that you know if there is an an organic option available we look for farms that are using that option.
0: How did you get into selling flowers or importing flowers?
1: Yeah, it it is. I started in 1984, uh, working on my family's uh, farm. So I started working in that. So at the time, all I wanted to be was a grower. And we used some really nasty agrochemicals back in the 80s. Um, So it really wasn't a thought on my mind. It wasn't until I started Importing from farms uh, in Ecuador and Colombia, seeing the workers there, um, my interest in sustainability started with, are these workers paid fair livable wages and are they cared for? And as we developed into those type programs, you look at, you know, what's another way to take care of the workers? Well, don't spray them with nasty agrochemicals while they're out in the field. So then it kind of developed into an environmental concern and aspect as well.
0: Interesting. and how do you engage your staff, suppliers, and customers with your mission and purpose? I mean, is it something that's to heart? And are you talking about this a lot?
1: Yeah. You know, we, what our company tries to offer consumers, the end consumer, are choices that matter. We want to have transparency in our sources. This is where the product came from. Um, this is how the workers are cared for. This is how the environment is impacted. Here's the, you know, the steps we're taking to minimize that impact and footprint. And we want consumers to make decisions uh, based on our brand, our company. Um, so when they're looking to buy flowers, where do you want to buy them from? You know, vendor A, that who knows where they came from, who knows at what, you know, environmental or social impact, or here's uh, supplier B that is as transparent as possible through these measures and you know really kind of informs consumers about sustainable floriculture
0: have you seen a appetite in in your customers for this change recently or over time and what sort of change have you seen if any
1: yeah i would say over the past 15 years uh, there was an appetite there's a supermarket in the us called whole foods that kind of caters to the eco-lifestyle consumer that is is kind of interested in things that are better for them, um, whether they're certified vegetables or just whole foods in general. You know, i spent a lot of time trying to get farms certified to organic, and that has been a big challenge, um, the organic movement. It seems the consumers are more interested in the natural movement than the organic movement.
0: And what's the difference between the two?
1: you know, just the organic movement. Well, one for flowers, people are more interested in organic food than organic flowers because you're not eating flowers. Um, so there is that aspect of it, but then also, you know, the, the, the more news media that pops out about, you know, poison baby food from China or, you know, what have you around the world, people really start to look at the sustainable side of the business, not just organic
0: do you look at the carbon footprints and um, we're talking about the environment here and talking about in the environmental impact do you look at the carbon footprint of your organization and the freight that you're bringing in and does that impact
1: decisions that you make uh, it does very much you know flowers are a perishable item that have to move very fast so they typically come in by air which is probably one of the worst ways that you could you know, move product around the globe. So we do a uh, calculation of our uh, carbon, Im- you know, impacts on that level. And then we participate in a reforestation project that is basically a carbon offset as to what we put in. So every year we'll take a look at, and we'll try and evaluate how many miles did our trucks drive? Uh, how many boxes of flowers did we bring in, you know, via air? And we'll We'll work with carbonfund.org and say, okay, help us calculate our our carbon output. And then let's pick a project this year that we're going to participate in. And I think right now we're involved in a, um, not in a direct way, but we, in, we invest carbon. We buy carbon credits into a reforestation program. And then we're also looking at bringing flowers in by ship versus sea. Um, it's a new project that I've been working on this year. Um, it's actually I've been working on it for two years, but we're we're about two weeks away from seeing that happen
0: and it's and it's possible to happen even because you were talking about it taking have, having to be quick to go from point A to point B,
1: yeah, so obviously Mexico is a trading partner of ours <clears throat> um to ship from a farm deep in Mexico all the way around to Florida takes about seven days uh, by truck or we can fly it, which it comes overnight. But we've now found a ship line that is coming across uh, to the west coast of Florida, where we're located, and it's taking two and a half days by sea, and it goes in a refrigerated uh, container. So uh, we're in the testing process of of that right now, and that should cut carbon emissions by 20%. Brilliant. That sounds great. And... What would you say your single
0: biggest challenge or frustration was with regards to um, carbon footprinting and getting your organization to be more environmental?
1: You know, I would say the biggest challenge is that because it's a perishable product, things have to ship fast. Because of environmental growing issues, flowers grow better in Ecuador on the equator above 9,000 feet for roses, um, for example. Uh, it can it can't be easily reproduced in a local growing area. So you know we grow things local like sunflowers that are easy to grow, but the key crops that the consumers want uh, unfortunately come from long distances. You should be bringing them from the UK. We've got lots of roses. <laughs> <And it's> prob- <laughs> a lot. A lot of your roses come from Africa, though. It's pro.
0: It's probably. Um, it's probably because the, I mean, if you're over a certain height. Then it makes sense, doesn't it? Because we're that much further north, and it is colder. Um, So we've probably got a similar temperature and a similar climate to where in Ecuador. Um, Yours, although theirs is probably more temperate and more stable than ours.
1: Yeah, it grows very large-headed roses. So being on the equator, you get twelve hours of daylight and twelve hours of night each day, consistently year-round. But you also have you're growing above nine thousand feet above sea level. Um, that makes a big difference in the the head size of the rose um, and then being up that high you also cut through several atmospheres so you get an intensity of light that just grows much more brilliant colors
0: okay and do you need to be using pesticides we hear a lot about the chemicals used and are you, would you be able to grow flowers without using anything at all other than completely natural Things like snail, I guess.
1: Yeah, you can. Uh, We're growing right now a flower called zinnias, and I'm I'm fighting a uh, an insect called a cutworm right now. And so we started out treating the plants with soapy water, and that gets rid of a lot of pests uh, at different stages. So that's obviously completely organic. As they, we had a little hard time on zinnias, it worked well on sunflowers. On zinnias, it's been a challenge, so I had to move up to an organic pesticide. It's just a little bit stronger and it gets multiple applications of it. You know, if you get an infestation, it's a challenge to fight it organically. It's very easy to walk out with a synthetic chemical, agrochemical, and just wipe everything out and move on. Uh, if you want to grow it organically, you have to take the extra time. And, and the key is really not letting nature get out of balance, not letting there get a massive uh, infestation. So I was in uh, Ecuador last week, so it kind of got out of control while I was out of town. (laughs) But, um, you know, we continue to fight it organically. It can be done. And of course, if you have a large commercial growing operation with uh, plenty of agronomists on hand, there are a number of organic commercial farms around the world.
0: Because some would say that um, flower growing isn't the most environmental thing to be doing. And I, myself, am am someone that does buy flowers. So I'm quite happy to be reprimanded here and told told off. So (laughs) therefore, I'm not asking these questions to be contentious. I'm asking these questions to be, you know, just to ask, really. How do
1: you feel about that? Um, I don't think that they are any more environmentally challenging to grow flowers versus vegetables and produce. But I do think it's not as regulated you know, as some other industry. So I think that's an opportunity uh, and has been an opportunity for myself in 20 years to try and help convert traditional uh, floriculture to sustainable floriculture. You know, there's still a worldwide demand for it. So it's about how can we make a positive impact within this industry. And I mean,
0: on the flip side, the farms that you're talking about that are over 9,000 feet in Ecuador, could they I mean, could they be growing something else because if they couldn't, then you are supporting a livelihood
1: could they grow something else probably not at that altitude, not successfully on a commercial level. so I will say that the floral industry has been somewhat of a a jewel of the agriculture community in Colombia and Ecuador in that um, it's helped a lot of rural towns grow things when there was nothing else to grow. So, a lot of the certified farms will employ over 65, 60, 65% women, which is very empowering to women in these small communities and villages. Um, so, that's been a very positive aspect. And, you know, again, it's given these small communities an exportable crop where before, you know, they had a lot of, uh, of workers were driving into the big city to be truck drivers or, you know, different jobs. So, it, it's brought a lot of economic benefit to these rural communities
0: it doesn't surprise me you say that and that's kind of why i was asking because the it, the environment doesn't stop at the environment as in the soil it, the environment is everything around us isn't it it's the people it's the way that we we are with each other and we can't be blinkered and only think about a particular aspect of it we need to think about the whole the whole picture
1: yeah our our company looks at sustainability as there's three pillars to sustainability and so everything that we do we make sure that it it meets those three criteria. One is it environmentally friendly. Two is it socially responsible and then three is it economically sustainable. Is it you know it's one thing to get up on a soapbox and preach to the world but if you go out of business you can't do any more good. So we have to balance those three aspects to to make sure we continue to do good in our industry.
0: I think that's um I mean you've probably heard of B Corps, haven't you? But we I mean we're a B Corp and that resonates very much with me and possibly resonates quite a lot with many of our listeners as well because we talk about that kind of thing quite a lot on the show. Is there anything that you would like to um you know sh- anything else to share about any of the trials and tribulations that you've had through trying to get change or have change within farms
1: yeah so i've spent 15 or maybe 20 years focusing on sustainability at farm level Um, i used to serve on a council for a um, sustainability seal that was later purchased by fair trade or somebody but you know worked very hard at the farm level and i think now i work very hard on the consumer level we want to offer choices that matter to consumers and we want these consumers to understand that their choices do matter. They need to support farms that are um, certified fair trade or rainforest or and really learn about the company that you're buying things from. Uh, the certifications are a great indicator, but you know as a cons- consumer, that's not it. If you can learn more about the brand, we want to put forth again that transparency, uh, where our products come from and, and you know what they represent through the chain. And the choices that they make with their dollars, where they spend their dollars, are going to decide whether these causes are going to be successful or not. They're very challenging working from the farm up. It almost has to be a consumer demand down and say, we are only going to purchase things that we feel are good for humanity and good for the environment and have similar like values that we have as shoppers.
0: And that comes down to educating the consumer, doesn't it? And how do we do that? I've had a f- number of conversations with journalists over the last few years about this very subject, because quite a lot of journalists are not educated enough themselves. And that's no disrespect to them, because they've we have made them become a jack of all trades and a master of none, because... We refuse to pay for news anymore. So, therefore, these poor journalists are looking to be paid a living, but yet we won't pay them, but we expect them to be amazing and really, really
1: good at what they do. And I think it's very, I think it's very tricky. That is a very good point. So, you know, we have invested a lot in uh, marketing and uh, technology in order to reach the consumer. So, we are putting in Supermarket flower shops, uh, touchscreen devices, to where it, the intention of it is to attract a consumer who is walking by the flower shop. So we want them to see a nice, you know, video of a rose field in Ecuador or, you know, tulips in Holland, and so it attracts them to come into the flower shop. It engages them in a touchscreen experience where they can click on different videos and learn more about flowers. They can learn more about sustainable floriculture. They can email that information to their phone. So it's it's about attracting, engaging and informing shoppers about floriculture, sustainable floriculture and why it's important.
0: I think that's great. I think that's that's actually a really good place to be to be educating your consumer right at the heart of that purchasing decision. And massively powerful as well I would imagine because if you had the choice between two different suppliers and one of them is educating you on why you shouldn't buy the other, which is basically what you're doing, but not saying don't buy the other. Then it's it's kind of like a no brainer as well.
1: Yeah, we basically just want to sh- you know have that transparency in our sourcing and let those consumers you know make their own decision with that with that information.
0: I think humans are incredibly powerful, and I think they do intrinsically, on the whole, make the right decisions. Because you hear a lot about doom and gloom about everything. And I think a lot of that doom and gloom can come out of the fact that when you're asking someone to make a decision on something they don't know anything about, they're no more than likely going to make the wrong decision because they don't know anything about it.
1: Exactly. And, you know, and in this, this new world with social media and, you know, all of the information available at your fingertips, I think consumers like to be more informed about what it is that they're doing. And it's up to us as uh, as companies to to reach out to them and make sure the proper information is available to them because there's a lot of bad information out there as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you so much for today.
0: It's been really interesting talking to you and understanding more about the flour industry. Really, what I'm taking away from this is it's us that, as the consumer that can make the difference by deciding on what it is that we're buying. And we should be looking more at organic flowers than just going, they're flowers, it's
1: okay. Yeah, agreed. I, I think you should be looking at uh, the companies you're buying product from, whether it's coffee, produce, flowers, what have you. Just educate yourselves a little bit on where is this product coming from and, and you know what does that, that look like and what does that represent. Brilliant. And where can we find out more about Manatee? Yeah, so you can go to manateefresh.com. Um, there is some information on our company and then also links into some of the different flower certifying bodies. Um, So there's more information there as well. Well, thank you very much for today. We'll be putting all of
0: those links on the websites. It's been really informative and thank you so much,
1: Robert. Great, thank you, Will.
0: And thanks for listening to the Sustainable Business Podcast. If you want to learn more about sustainable business and talk to other like-minded professionals, why not join our online community at sustainabilitysolve.org. Join now and find a space to collaborate, learn and inspire others to become more environmental. And if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get every episode and don't forget to follow Green Element on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram.